0: to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 3,
1: Episode 3, The House of Quark. But before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast.
0: That's right, and as I say, every single week you should find us and follow us because we are a great time a fantastic time um, things have kind of been a little quiet on the twitter end these last few weeks because there's just been a lot of other things that were going on so we kind of just stayed out of that for a bit um, but we're back so come and join us come hang out um, a lot of fun and there were some things that you might have missed out on if you didn't if you weren't a part of some stuff this week but anyway you can get caught up real easy and enjoy us enjoy us on our conversations. Yeah. Alright, so as David said, we are here to talk about Deep Space Nine in the Season 3 episode, The House of Quark. Great episode. Yes. But before we get into all that, it's been a while for us, so David, how have you been since the last time we <laughs> uh, we got together to do this? Yeah,
1: so it's been a little while for, for me. I had uh, a move that I've kind of talked about, so I had to move last weekend, and uh, before that was preparing for the move, so... Oh man! So glad it's done. Uh, the worst part of moving is is going through stuff and packing it in boxes and finding junk and throwing out this and do I need to throw out that or do i do I keep this do so I keep that um, fi- you know in the new space, which is fantastic. Uh, glad to be here. Um, went from an apartment to a house and uh, I, I I have the master bedroom of the house that we're at now and uh, it's got more space for me. Got my own, you know, master bathroom suite. So like, I'm sitting pretty right now. I'm really enjoying nice. it. Still got some unpacking to do. Uh, I got way more books than most people would probably be willing to keep around, and gotta find homes for all of them. I thought I had space. I thought I had space for things. I had, I had intentionally like made sure that like, oh, I don't need this space anymore because I'll have more space over here, and then. I go to put things away and I'm like, wait a minute, no, I, I don't have as much space as I thought. Um, I have to keep reorganizing things to keep getting it down to where everything is where it's supposed to be. It's just, it's happening, it's working out, but it's just uh, it's just a, a, kind of a process, a fun process to be clear. It's fun uh, kind of figuring out where things should go, um, but today, my the rug I ordered just got delivered today, so I'll, I'll get that set up under my bed and then... Um, That'll probably be it in terms of how everything's going to be finalized. Just my room will be done, um, but yeah, that's uh, that's been me. Then we had Labor Day at work, you know, work, uh, you know, in the match industry, Labor Day is a big day, as you re- remember, Perry. It was a great mm-hmm. weekend for me. Really uh, happy about that. Uh, so yeah, things are going well. How about you? What's up? What's new with you?
0: So I love that you were saying how much you enjoy moving. Um, I hate. Moving. Oh no, I didn't. It's oh like, no, no,
1: no, I'm sorry. I enjoy the fact that it's done. The fact. That oh, okay. The, I was they, gonna they, say. Let me, let me put it this way. I have some heavy things, and thankfully, my roommate and our new roommate are bigger, taller guys than I am. They were willing to move some of my heavier stuff because I was contemplating paying, you know, movers to move some of my heavy uh. stuff. My roommate was like, "Ah, no, we can get it." It's like, I mean, if you're willing to do it, I will, you got stairs there. So, but they did. They moved some of my heavy stuff for me. It's all well, what's what's fun about the process now is now that I can unpack, I could put things where I want them again. You know, I can have I like have well, a I, man I, cave kind of thing. Yeah, on.
0: but anyway, well, I would tell you right now, I'm a large man. <laughs> I work out. But I hate moving. Oh,
1: I know.
0: I hate moving things. It is it is the worst and I mean I've I've moved several times in my life and you know, um yeah, I'm the type of person who if, if something is too heavy for me to move, and trust me when I tell you guys, like the justification for it being too heavy is like razor thin. But so when I've decided that it's too heavy, I would much rather give it away or sell it yes. than try to then try to figure out a way to move it or get someone to help me or whatever. I I moved here from California with nothing more than a duffel bag and a dream. <laughs> I, mean, I I left I left everything when I when I moved out from my place in California. I I sold what I could and what I couldn't sell, I gave away. Yeah, packed up my stuff in one large again one large duffel bag, and that's how I arrived um, here in Texas some eleven twelve years ago. Wow. So um yeah that that's my idea of a smart move. Just get gotcha. rid of all of it. um I've been also talking about moving, and I've actually been looking into some uh places and everything else and um now I'm contemplating you know contemplating moving again and knowing that I also have my kid and all of her stuff and I just I know that that's not gonna be her mentality, not the whole <laughs> Let's just get rid of it all. We'll buy new stuff when we get to wherever you know no we're gonna have to take things with us and yeah. i I'm, I'm dreading it like. <laughs> Do you really need this bookshelf? Yeah, I didn't, th- I didn't think so. You we know, can like, get you
1: another one of those. Yeah,
0: yeah, but yeah, and it's um. And so for those of you who don't, who h- haven't quite realized yet, we do record this show um, in advance about a week. But just recently, we had um, the last three episodes of the show were all done in advance, and uh, so it's really been about three weeks since David and I have actually been able to um, be here and yeah. be able to record again. Um, with you all. So now now this episode will actually come out um, the very next day. So that's the interesting thing for, for <laughs> this one. So you're, you're getting some as close, almost as close to live as we can do at the moment. All right. Yep, fresh, baby. Um, absolutely. <laughs> now, um, for me, in these three weeks, I have really just been, um, you know, working and really kind of getting back into um, I guess a more regular routine with working out. I, I know I talk about it a lot, and it's just one of those things that, like, it stays in my mind. It's a fascinating little, you know, trying to figure out healthy life choices and all that other kind of stuff. And you have setbacks and all that, and talking about it certainly helps. But um, what I've really been doing lately with all that is um, I've been trying to establish a way that I can work out that basically I'm I'm comfortable because there are times when, you know, like if my kid is at school or whatever, and I know it's—I'm probably overreacting, but I just think about being somewhere when I may be needed elsewhere. So then it takes me out of wanting to go and work out because it's like, no, just be be ready, be on hand. So yeah, even my my own mother was just like, you need to like calm down and do things for yourself. It's all right, you know. Um, so yeah, I just uh, then I'm just like, I can't wait for my kid to get a little older so that I don't feel you know, bad, you know, leaving an older kid by themselves for a little bit versus the younger one, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I would never leave my kid alone. She's seven years old. I would never do that. But I'm just saying there are times that I'm like, if only you were a little older, you know,
1: so don't grow up too fast. Don't grow up too fast. Right. I yeah. was going to say, don't
0: grow too fast. I don't yeah. want to blink and suddenly you're, you know, 16 and you're whatever. You're going to say that anyway. Um, yeah, it's going to happen anyway. Um, other than that, yeah, just work Working out And um, actually trying to get us to do Something different next week Which is what I was going to talk to you about, David um, Cool What if we actually did a live show? Oh, wow, like, yeah Go go on, and just have a live one On YouTube And I mean, we would still set everything up For you know, doing the recording and captioning everything Like we do now but um, But that would be the episode That would be it, you wouldn't be able to get hear the podcast version until a week later whereas you would have the live youtube version yeah yeah that'd be cool
1: that'd be really cool yeah
0: so guys you heard it here first looks like next week we may be going all the way live
1: (laughs) i'll have to put on a suit
0: (laughs) yeah right you have to get something better than i guess a standard black shirt to wear
1: (laughs) (laughs) we'll need better lighting we're currently at both of us kind of in a
0: darker space. I, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll work on that. I, I I have a thing about being in the dark. Um. But yeah, also in these last few weeks, let's see what happened. We had. Um, we had Star Trek Week, of course, which was culminated on Star Trek Day, which was September eighth, and there was a lot of stuff out there for everybody who is a Trek fan. There were there were multiple panels that you could attend, or you know, do them in person or virtually. Um, I know I watched the virtual panel that did kind of like a. Um, it's like a snapshot of all of the uh, current shows and where they are and what's up next for them. So they were giving you like little previews and stuff. And I cannot wait for season three of Picard. They dropped that trailer and everybody looked amazing. Like there wasn't a single person in there who I was not just thoroughly happy and impressed to see. And I mean, they yes, they're older, but they, they look good, they sound good. And just from the bits that you could see, it seemed like everybody was just, like, really into it. So, really excited about that. Can't wait to see, you know, um, what that final... Because that's it. Uh, Season 3 of Picard is the final season of the show. So, I can't wait to see um, where that goes. Now, there have been talks, murmurings, that there's going to be a couple of different spinoffs. There's been talk of uh, a a Janeway spinoff, a Seven of Nine uh, spinoff... And uh, then, of course, you got the other shows, uh, Lower Decks, Strange New Worlds. Um, there was some talk about the production of the Section 31 show, which seems to be going nowhere, in my opinion. I don't even know why they keep bringing it up. Like It's been talked about since Season 1 of Discovery, and we're getting ready to start Season 5 of Discovery. And we still haven't seen so much as a production note on the Section 31 show. So at this point, I'm just like shut up about it. Like, unless you're going to really do something and give me a trailer, something, I don't want to hear about it anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it was still a lot of great stuff to see, and a lot of it is, uh, it's, it, obviously it's online. You should go YouTube, watch all of the trailers, Discovery, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Picard, all of them. They're great. Like, the, especially with um, the Lower Decks one, which I know is the cartoon one, there's so many, like, great, like, nostalgic Easter eggs and stuff that are laced throughout the entire thing. You will love it. If you're looking for those little things that like you thought no one else really paying attention to, that's the show you should be watching because there is so much of it in there and it's funny. So go and check those out and you'll really enjoy them. Gotcha. And of course, last but not least, we all know that, um, queen Elizabeth died and, um, she was 96 longest serving, British monarch, and what was it? 70 years. Is it 70 years? Yeah. 70 years. And now we have King Charles. The third. So. Yep. But he's also ancient, so I'm like, you guys, I mean, he's going to get, like, what, 20 years, and then he's, out. well, I mean, I guess not, because their family is clearly exceedingly long-lived, but even still. <laughs> if, he lived he's... As, if he lived to be as old as his mother, he'd be uh, reigning for 23 more years, and men don't usually yeah. live as long as women, so I imagine it'll be close to 20 years, but. Yeah, but at the same time he's it's not like he's gonna be living a hard life.
1: Not like he's ever <laughs>
0: lived a hard life. So oh, the yeah. chances of him reaching the same age or even surpassing her and making it all the way to a hundred is very strong. Yeah. So there was a uh, meme I, I
1: saw of uh, you know, seventy three year old man gets first job. <laughs> gets his first job, right.
0: I saw the same one. Seventy three year old man gets his first job, don't give up, don't lose hope. You can all everybody can attain their dreams. Like there was something like that, you know. So Yeah. Um but while we're on the subject, I, and I will say, while the passing of any individual is, of course, sad, and, you know, especially when you know that person, that's your family member, it's all the more poignant and sad for you. I, Other than that, I just don't get the Monarch thing. fervor right. I mean, we don't have a monarchy here in the United States. I'm not. I'm certainly not trying to knock their system out. I don't even really understand how the British government works. That's my failing as an American. I will totally own that that I've never actually looked into the governmental systems of another country. Yeah, you know? it
1: seems. But my understanding is yeah. that the the English monarchy at this point is just a bunch of figureheads. You know, they've lost all true power these in in modern society. But the way I see it, it's like. They're the first citizens, so it's like the English take pride in how well the the monarchy can live in a sense. It's like they all contribute to the success and, and wealth and, and, you know, just you know, they so live they, lavishly, but they live lavishly because the people let allow them allow them to live lavishly. Yeah, that's how I understand so... it. I don't know if that's how they would say it, but
0: so it's like extreme privilege. Like this is – they they have achieved ultimate apex privilege goals. They are exactly. at the height <laughs> Yeah. Of Your it.
1: very existence is just a statement about an entire culture. So, yeah. <laughs> an
0: entire culture has decided that you all are so – that you're literally so valuable. We will prop you up right. and let you spend countless millions until you die. Oh,
1: she died with a half-billion-dollar fortune to her name.
0: That's what I heard, too. There was something like there was a – she had like a private collection or whatever that was legitimately hers, had nothing to do with the monarchy or whatever, that was worth, yeah, close to a billion dollars. I was like, how does one person have – just in jewelry alone. Right. Almost a billion dollars worth of stuff. Yeah, I
1: definitely feel like to be a British monarch – and again, I'm an American just commenting from a distance. It's like everything they own should technically be public property on some level. (laughs) You know, the crown is
0: (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> I'll go one step further and say everything they own needs to be returned to its original owners because a lot of that stuff was stolen, <laughs> stolen, stolen, stolen. Uh, so sure there's a uh, long, there's a series of items, a we long, could <laughs> go yeah, <look> at. <laughs> a, a, there's a there's a long and bloody history behind a lot of those those sparkly items. Yeah. But uh, we're not here to talk about the past. We are here to talk about no, the only future. Thirty
1: years into the past, Deep Space Nine yeah. 30 years ago. So.
0: Uh, Well, you know, we're here to talk about the in-universe future world, which is like some 400 years from now. (laughs) Um, So, we're turning to the House of Quark. Yes. Great, great fun, surprising episode considering what we just came from with the opener, of course. Yes. But here we are back with one of our mainstays, one of our favorites, Quark himself. So, David, before we get any further... Do you want to give the recap? Is
1: it my I turn? I mean, I'm, I, I'm happy. I have to no idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could do it. All right, here we go. All right, guys. So the house of cork starts off anywhere else, but in corks, um, they are experiencing a lack of customers because everyone's now afraid of the dominion. And so a lot of Bajorans have moved back to the planet because they're afraid that, you know, the station will be the first line of defense. And so they don't want to be there. So, cork is lamenting his situation to his brother Rom, and the only customer they have is a drunken Klingon who yells for more wine, but when Rom goes to, you know, confirm that he has the money to pay for it, he's the Klingon says he doesn't, so cork is gonna, you know, stand up to the Klingon, and, you know, the Klingon immediately stands up to him, and you know, and, and pulls a knife, and they tussle, and in the tussle, this Klingon is stabbed and dies, and cork has basically killed a Klingon. Um, as soon as Odo and Bashir arrive and a crowd appears trying to figure out what happened, Cork realizes that this is actually a fantastic opportunity to attract customers again. He can tell a lie that he defeated a Klingon, a Klingon in battle, and that will draw people in who want to hear the story. So he tells Rom, we're going to tell a story about this you know, fight where, you know, I, I jibbed and I jabbed and I punched him and I stabbed him after I took the you know, this long, ridiculous story, which immediately Odo, Odo doesn't believe, of course. Uh, he comes and Odo comes back to Quark later and says, do you want to change your story? Because if the Klingons hear that one of their people died, you can be sure that their family members are going to try and come and enact revenge. And Quark uh, decides to hold to his story um, he tells Rom, who is also concerned, that, you know, if anything, I'll just bribe whoever comes after me. And who comes after him immediately but a man, a Klingon, claiming to be a relative. And he grabs Quark, throws him up against a wall, and asks and demands to know the true story of what happened. Uh, Quark tells him uh, uh, the truth, that he did not die honorably, that he tripped and fell, and Quark only survived the incident he didn't really kill the guy but this guy this this klingon says uh his, his name is Tagore, de, de, uh says that the one who died kozak uh if he died honorably that would be fine because then de gore mm-hmm. can say he doesn't need to be avenged he died if he died honorably then he can that could be the end of it but if he died uh an accidental death then he would have to You know, on behalf of Kozak, you know, get revenge and vengeance on behalf of this dead relative. So Quark says, oh, no, 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 let's go back to the original story. The lie I told of, yeah, he died um, uh, in a a fair fight, but I beat him fair and square. Um, And uh, yeah, so they, they move on. And later that evening, another Klingon shows up named Grilka. She claims to be the dead man's wife, the dead Klingon's wife. And when Odo, I'm sorry, when Quark tries to say how the, oh, no, he died in an honorable fight, she immediately pulls out a weapon of her own and lunges at him. And, of course, Quark, being the coward that he is, immediately dives for cover and tries to hide and, you know, begs mercy. And so she immediately knows that there's no way that a Ferengi killed uh, her husband, Kozak, even though he was a drunkard, there's no way that that is what uh, happened. But she immediately tranquilizes him and abducts him and takes him to the home planet of the Klingons, K- K- Kronos, right? Uh, Kronos? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Klingon home is Kronos.
1: Yeah. Now we're going to take a quick pause there. Uh, the side story going on here is that because the Bajorans have all left the station... Keiko O'Brien, who was the school teacher, no longer has any students. All that's left are Jake and Nog. And so um, she is shut down the school. She'll tutor Jake and Nog as they require, but she can't do anything anymore. And so Miles, her husband, finds her in their quarters, and she is just doing some maintenance around the, the apartment, you know, doing some bonsai trees. And we, he can immediately tell that she's kind of depressed. Uh, he tries to make her feel better, so he then like the next night, he uh, arranges a dinner. He uh, makes a cute proclamation that uh, this is a holiday, this is a being married to the best woman in the world day. And uh, they have a beautiful night together. Um, but in the morning, as soon as he leaves to go to work, Keiko is immediately returned to her kind of dejected state. She's not complaining. She's telling O'Brien, you know, don't worry about me. I'm okay. I'm fine. But we and O'Brien know that, um, you know, she's a little depressed because she has nothing to do with herself right now. Uh, So anyway, going back to Kronos, um, it turns out that the wife, Grilka, uh, has abducted Quark for a very particular reason. It turns out that the one, the first Klingon who came to Quark and asked what happened— Degore was not a relative of Kozak. He is actually a rival to Kozak and mm-hmm. he wants Kozak's uh possessions, you know. Now that Kozak has died, it turns out Kozak who was head of the house of Kozak, he didn't die with an heir. So this means that all of his property and all of his i everything he owns would go to whoever his creditors are and Groka reveals that he was heavily in debt and that Gore is the main person who would come to possession of these items unless she can somehow keep possession of the House of Kozak for herself. Problem is that she's a woman, and in Klingon society, she is not allowed to participate in High Council meetings unless she gets a special dispensation, which, if Cork had said originally that he died by falling down, you know, he died by tripping, that would have given her th- the ability to claim special dispensation. So delore by coming back to the Klingons and saying he died honorably, I've confirmed the story, uh, now means that that's the official version, and that means that Quark is the one who kind of now has possession of Kozak's things. So Grilka, by abducting Quark, she takes him back to her home, and before Quark knows what's happening, they're married. <laughs> she... Uh, she marries him all of a sudden, quick, in a quick like 60-second wedding ceremony, and that means that now this is the House of Cork. So she goes before the council, announces what she has done in order to maintain control of her assets, um, and that puts things into a, a bit of a mess for the moment. So the High Council is like, uh, we need to talk about this. Uh, so Cork goes to her and says, hey, look, I, uh, I know how to do finances and money things. So you tell me that, you know, your husband who's now dead, had all these problems monetarily. Let me do my thing and figure out how we can get out of this. Uh, so he does his thing and, uh, realizes that there are ways for them to get out of, of, to kind of get out of this whole situation. But the problem is that Klingons don't do things that way. That's not how Klingons resolve their issues. Um, so, um, so he, he's going to be, basically he's going to have to fight. Quark is going to have to fight in order to maintain things for Grilka. Um, and he's like, heck no, I'm not a fighter. There's no way this is going to work out. So, uh, I'm, you know, Rom's here. I'm, I'm going to run away. And so Grilka is, you know, dejected. She's angry with him. He's a coward and she's, Gonna have to go in front of uh, the High Council with uh, you know Dagor ready to fight, but Quark returns. He has a he has a bat lift. He's ready to fight, and they say go, and he immediately throws away the bat lift and gets down on his knees and says, "Look, Dagor, you can't kill me right now while you know I'm weak. I can't defeat you, so I'm gonna put myself at your mercy. If you kill me right now, it's an execution, which is not honorable in." uh klingon society to kill uh you know an unarmed opponent and Gore is like i don't care and goes to swing his batleth and kill cork and um the leader of the high council um that goron um uh he says uh, he stops it and he says Quark uh proved his you know bravery uh by you know confronting Gore and Gore proved himself a coward uh and greedy and a you know a money grubber by his the way he did things, and so uh, Gowron turns his back on uh, Degore, and the whole council turns their back on Degore in the exact same way that um, back on uh, the next generation next gen. mm-hmm. uh, Worf was for a time uh, exiled in the same way. So exactly. So uh, Cork is successful basically in resolving the situation. And back on the station, um, O'Brien knowing that, um, you know, Keiko's a botanist. Maybe I should get her back into botany again. So he goes to Cisco and asks, you know, can we uh, make an area of the station into, like, a botany area so Keiko can, you know, get back into her hobby. And, you know, Cisco being a great dude, you know, great commander is like, I want to do everything possible to make sure that she's happy. Take you know, Bay 21, it's, it's already got problems. So we could very easily transition it into a, uh, a botany area. However, Bashir later on notices what O'Brien is planning and confronts O'Brien and says, this is not going to fix the problem. It's not a hobby that uh, Keiko has with botany. This is, this is her job. This is what she, who she is. This is what she does. You know, she really would need, to go back into her botany you know, uh, career in full, not as a pastime. And so O'Brien, at the end of the episode, uh, goes to Keiko and says, hey, I just heard about an expedition that's six months long on Bajor that needs a head botanist. You can go do that, and they will let you take uh, Molly, you know, their daughter, and he can very easily go visit them from the station. It's about a three-hour flight uh, on a runabout. So, uh, she agrees and she's happy about this. She seems pleased by this change of events. You know, she's going to go to her botany career again. Um, and, uh, yeah, a beautiful little scene between them. And I think that's pretty much it. Is there anything I missed there, Perry?
0: No, that's about it. But again, we're going to obviously hit, hit more of this in a minute, but yeah, yeah. you got the highlights. All right. You hit the highlights. So, yes. Um, what did you think of this episode after after all that?
1: I thought this was fun. I I mean, again, you can tell that this season, like, they have more money to spend on the episodes. Uh, all the cast looks fantastic. We're back on uh, Kronos in the Klingon High Council, no less. We got... Again is it, is it's Galron, right? That's the guy's name. Galron. Yeah, he's yes. he's back ruler like, of the high council. I was so happy that he was there. It's like that's the same actor. Like if you've watched your know, TNG, oh, yeah. you know who he is and his history and like I felt like the set, I mean, I'm I'm sure it's not the same set they use on TNG. They've had to re- rebuild it. But it it they they rebuilt it. And it felt like the the set.
0: Yeah. I'm sure they rebuilt it and they most likely added to it cuz sure. that's one thing about Deep Space 9. Um, a lot of the sets were very expansive, um, to give you more of that feel of you know kind of being in there with everyone else. Like, I mean, the the promenade is a famous freestanding set that was on the Paramount lot, you know, for the whole run, and then some. So big that it, it was again, it was the biggest um space on the paramount lot yeah so i mean they used to use it all the time to show people through and do tours and everything else so yeah i wouldn't be surprised at all if they did the same thing kind of expanded the klingon set a bit and gave you more to work with yeah um and the lighting changed, so you could see a bit more and yeah i mean we got to see gowron in those eyes again (laughs) you know and that's just He does that's look
1: half-crazed, that's true.
0: <laughs> always, always. I still remember the very first time I, that they revealed the character of Galron on Next Generation. Yeah. And uh, those big eyes popping out yeah. that deep-set face, it was quite the look. And he also looks, <laughs> quite the, the look. actor
1: seems smaller than most Klingon actors so he he almost seems oh, to not man. quite fit as the leader of the Klingons because he doesn't seem quite the right size, but he's got the personality for it. He's just he's, as aggressive. Yeah, <laughs>
0: he's got a he's a very, he's got a very crazed, threatening look about him that yeah, like, more I'll... than makes up for the fact that you know people like Worf tower over him, right? You know, yeah. So yeah,
1: and I, I just love. I think the Klingons are, in my opinion, one of the best success stories that Star Trek has. It's oh, yeah. it's a fascinating culture. And every time you explore it, or at least I explore it, like I go in and I'm like, what? This culture doesn't make sense. These people are all, you know, they're just fighting all the time. They're always angry. They're always honored to this, honored to that. And then like you explore it and you're like, well, I mean, it still seems, you know, strange. It's still alien, but they, you know, this show has worked out some of the kinks on how this culture works. Yeah.
0: Well, and you also have to remember too that what we're seeing is such a small sliver of what is Klingon society. I mean, that's like saying that all humans are the same. We right. know that we're not. We know. I mean, you can travel, you know, just fifty miles, and you'll find people who, in their own homes, have different, you know, traditions, customs, and whatever else than than we do. Right. You know, and that's and that's just here. Right. So, I mean, yeah, to think that we see just because we see a couple of them prominently. Um, featured here in this political stage that, that they are indicative of all Klingons everywhere. Obviously, that's not true. But you're right, though. They still give you so much. I mean, we've now seen... Because if, if you think about it, from the very first time that Klingons were introduced all the way back in the 60s, what we get from them is this very kind of stolid, honorific society that's very aggressive and almost like a like a savage race. But then, as time progresses, we see, you know, Orphan Worf, who's trying to understand his his people, his culture, his heritage. He's trying to embrace that while also living this other life in the Federation. Uh-huh. Um, he's raising his son. He, he, we see – it's the first time we hear about ambassadors, true ambassadors. No, you know, Kalar is an ambassador. Didn't right. even, you know – what do you mean she's a Klingon and she's an ambassador? That wasn't like really a thing. And then we get to see several more of them. We get to see their rights of succession and how they decide right. who's going to rule and, and what you have to do and all that. We see singers and chefs. And, I mean, they they have a very wide cultural spectrum, yes. just like you would really expect from anyone. And yes. it just gets better. Yeah. It gets better and better. D Space Nine really does dive into the Klingon culture culture, psyche, mythos, whatever you want to call it, hard. Like yeah. We got a lot in Next Generation, especially towards the end, which really helps to set up Deep Space Nine for certain things later on. But yeah, um, a lot of great stuff with the, with the Klingons. And I'm glad that you said that because they I, I feel the same way. I feel like the Klingons are probably one of the better thought out um, alien races right. that we see. And um, second would be, to me, the Bajorans. We get a lot from Majorians. And again, that's kind of springboarding from Next Generation. And then full development here in, in Deep Space Nine. But think about it. As much as we saw of uh, the Romulans throughout Next Generation. I mean, you just don't get much yeah. with them. Yeah. Not until you watch the Unification episodes where Spock was right. you know, our, our guest. But, I mean, again, we just don't get much from them. We get more of the Ferengi here, sure. But I think overall the Klingons have had the most lasting um, impact on Trek and then also the most development. And um, it's actually kind of upsetting when you think about, like, with the newer shows, like, in particular, Discovery. Again, is getting ready to enter into its um, fifth season. And they were they were so Klingon-heavy in the first season, which, you know, fine, but then... There's been nothing else. There's been no mention of them. We haven't seen them, not a ship, not a person, nothing. And now that they've flung the show so far into the future, it's like the Klingons have wholly disappeared. It's like, <laughs> where are they? Right. I need you to bring them back. We need an update. Even if it's just like a, a quick walk by, somebody, you know, Klingon in a Federation uniform, something, show me that there has been some kind of integration here because that's what we were basically being trained literally since the inception of... of Star Trek. Yeah, that that's where we were going, right? Because the Klingons were the the first legitimate enemy, right? And then, I mean, we were moving towards this greater assimilation and integration, and it still hasn't really happened yet. So, uh, I would love to see that at some point, right? But yeah,
1: yeah. I um I like the idea that the Klingons are so aggressive, like that's who they are, but that they have worked out their civilization through all these rituals and and there's a lot of legality around who can do what and when you know, the high mm-hmm. council i think i think the uh the high council has flaws as we saw in tmg uh you know the whole we you know wharf was got the he got screwed over because of certain things that happened but in yeah. general um it it's a it's a fascinating like just this alien culture it, it feels completely alien and yet the more you explore it the more it seems to be understandable, um, and uh, and yeah, I, I just liked that. I, I liked that Cork. All the Cork. Uh, Cork <laughs> is a great character, and yeah. this whole episode was just another reason why he's a great character. Because I'm gonna lie, because I want customers, and I don't care about the ramifications. And as soon as the ramifications come at him, he immediately flops, and then he realizes well, that he could flip back and. He? Well no, but right, I I was gonna he say, flips but and he flops he? and he goes and he just Yeah. But he's also smart. Like he talks to uh, what's her name who we're reading right Grilka. now? Grilka and he says, Look, I uh, I know how to do finances. And he's like close to proving his point. I forgot to mention, like, he went before the high council with all of his evidence about DeGore, you know, using financial underhanded means to get a hold of um, the property uh, of K- Kozak and they like he has like a whole like PowerPoint presentation on little on little tablets. He's trying to get them to read, and they're like, right. we can't understand this. This is not how we do things." And Dagor immediately says, "Which,
0: which is great yeah. because it's like what a great way to use a character like Quark to show us yet another layer of complexity in the Klingon culture. Yeah, that we know that they are an honor based society, right. and yet at the same time." Money and transactions exist. Like it's just like right. something that I'm sure that no one really thought about before. Like, how did we assume that they got their lands and titles and goods and everything else? They probably killed someone for them. They thought they won, and then they threatened everybody else, and everybody else is just like, "Yeah, you know what? We're we're <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna fight that person." But, I mean, now we also find out that, you know, there's a whole thing with currency and money exchanging hands and buying someone's debt. And that this guy, instead of doing things in the traditional honorable Klingon way, did it in this very, you know, kind of underhanded transactional way. And even Gowron says to him, you know, you used money (laughs) to take down a great house. Like, he's so insulted. He's like, you couldn't even come to their door and bite him. You used yeah. money.
1: Yeah, yeah. You
0: know, it's, he's so upset by it, yeah. you know? Yeah,
1: I love the idea that, like, this is a great introduction of, you know, Klingon and, you know, Ferengi, how those cultures would clash. Like, there aren't any and, and humans exactly. in any of that.
0: Why Right, why they don't like each other? Right. Why there's this weird dis- dislike of Klingons uh, between Klingons and Ferengi? Yeah. Like they they look disgusted by each other right. when they're around, and then it's just like why? Because one values money, finances, transactions, and so forth, and the other one doesn't. Well, I love it's the repulsive. idea
1: that Degore is actually he's actually like his problem isn't that he was using money to try and be successful; it's that the culture he lives in doesn't take that seriously, but it actually gives you a glimpse into you know, the possible Klingon future, where if they were to take those money situations more seriously, their culture would grow and maybe prosper in many ways. You know, there, would be things that would come along that would cause problems as well. But you know, in general, it's a mistake that uh, Grilka herself couldn't figure some of this stuff out and and you know basically counteract gore, or that Kozak couldn't counteract gore. They were just yeah. bad with money. And Degore was good with money, but he was also more knowledgeable about Frankie I'm sorry about uh, Klingon culture, and so he was able to try and manipulate on both levels.
0: On both ends. It's right. just
1: that at the very yeah. end, when when Quark was kneeling and he said, "I don't care, I'm gonna kill you anyway," that's what did him in. Like at the last minute, yeah. he he betrayed the most important for, uh, Klingon rule of honorable. Uh, fighting, and that's what yeah,
0: honorable combat.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Now, I wouldn't say that Grilka was, you know, uh, uh, I guess not knowledgeable uh, in the ways of money so much as. I would just say she didn't know, because a lot sure. of that, the debts and things like that, that was, that was um, Kozak's Kozak stealing. That's true. And, That's as true. We, and as they established pretty early on in the episode, as a woman, uh, girlco wasn't even able to lead her house. Right. So I doubt she would have been uh, privy, had access to the true financial records right. of of her house i mean she seems very smart she understands what to do she operate she moved very swiftly into establishing like one that quark was a liar right and two uh doing what she needed to do to maneuver him so that she could now represent her house right. she knew that it would at least buy her some time to do what she did and she took the appropriate action to do so and it ultimately worked in her favor i think groka is great she's one oh, of yes few few characters I feel like that come in as like one offs like this right and really kind of just sell it. Now, I think it also for me another reason why I like her so much is because we just don't really see that many Klingon females. True. And uh and she's just I mean she's full on just a hundred percent Klingon. She's got her rituals down. She's ready to fight. I loved everything about her yes, character. She and was just, fantastic. She, she was yeah, she was great.
1: If they could bring her back, I mean are we gonna see her ever again?
0: Yeah. I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm just going to say Grilka is great, and uh, I enjoy her.
1: Oh, I just looked up the actress playing her, and it says season five episode, she returns. So, anyway.
0: <laughs> Rude. Rude, but, uh, David. Stop spoiling things for yourself. Oh, no, I don't want right? any
1: details. I don't you say, know that
0: I'm... Well,
1: I just <laughs> love don't that, you know
0: I'm living vicariously through you? you know, I need
1: you to yes. not. <laughs> well, I just I just find it hilarious because the actress playing uh, the character of Grokka is Mary Kay Adams, who apparently is a descendant of second U.S. President John Adams, so that's interesting. But anyway, um, she... Is a beautiful woman, and even as a Klingon, is a beautiful woman. And so, that scene where like she and Quirk are like.
0: are really close to each and other, she and she threatens to shatter every bone in his body? Unless he takes yes. his hand
1: off her thigh. It was hilarious. Oh my gosh. And the way she smiles, and they gave her, like, in that scene, an ugly prosthetic teeth.
0: Oh yeah. So it was like, like teeth on top of teeth and they were like really thin and sharp. Yes. But like, like I noticed Jesus. in like
1: a later scene, like they they like took away that darker, more ugly looking like it was for that specific moment that they gave her this really disgusting looking piece in her mouth. Oh yeah. But then like the rest of the time you're like, I can you know, this <laughs> this character is great. You know, she's attractive, she's a Klingon, she's she's got cork even interested in her. I uh, would love to see more of, of those, you know, sparks fly. Uh, we know that, you know, Quark already has the love of his life in a Cardassian, of all people. Why not also have a Klingon love uh, interest? Yeah, well,
0: <laughs> Quark is definitely a, a very interesting... Um, interesting character yeah. to say the least and we obviously we enjoy him and he gives us some of our best scenes or some of our favorite scenes like even early on shortly after the accidental killing of Kozak you know um, one of my favorites is you know the bar is packed and he's telling the story again and again and he's serving the drinks and everything else and then you the camera pans and turns and there's Odo standing <laughs> there like a damn statue yes. in the middle of the and he's just blaring like glaring at, at him he's porch, like what do you yeah. want and i just like I love it I just because it completely took him out of his element, even in his own bar. Right. You know, he's not exactly, he's not totally king of the castle. You know, there's always somebody there who is just like, I see right through you, I know yeah. that you're lying. Well, it's so and funny. That's, I was that's thinking, Odo. if
1: I'm Odo, how do I ex- it, look at this? Anything Quark would say would be a lie, no matter which way, like if he truly had killed the guy and he had truly murdered him, he'd be saying he didn't. For him to be saying, oh yes, I did kill him, I I defeated him in combat, is to know that he didn't do that. You know, anything Quark would have said would have been a lie, because he doesn't want to face up to the consequences of the truth. He wants the benefits of the lie, whatever the lie is, and so I just loved it. It was like, no matter what Quark would have done, Odo would have known it was BS. <laughs> it's just how Quark is. Quark doesn't, he just just always does the... the... He's, he's
0: dug himself such a deep hole with yeah. Odo that it's just like, Odo already knows. No matter what it is, if he's if he's claiming it, then yeah, he's, he's lying. But part of the reason it's
1: so it. great why I'm saying this is because when Odo goes to him in that very scene we're talking about, and he says, look, if you don't tell me the truth, then the Klingons might come after you. You need to tell me now. And Quark is like, nah, I'm going to be fine. And Odo, yeah. like, sighs and he shrug, shrug, like hunches his shoulders. Like, he gives up. He knows that it was a futile effort to get Quark to, to admit to the truth. He's just going to have to suffer the consequences of whatever he's chosen to do.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess that's one thing about Odo that's always, uh, I guess, a nice quality that he has. Is that even people like Quark, who he... Clearly does not like. He still gives him a chance to do the right thing. He's like, "Are you sure?" Yes. Because that family is going to come. They're you know they're a pretty well to do, well known family. They're going to come for you, and I can't do anything for you unless you tell me the truth. Right. Here is your. I'm giving you an out, basically. And Corks like. Mm, nah, I'm going to keep telling the story. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. And even, <laughs> uh, and Rom's like, are you sure you want to He goes like, don't worry about it. Even if they, because in his mind, no matter what, he can always eventually weasel out of it by telling the truth. Like that's yes, the oh, that's beauty to of to mention work. that. That's what he it's, says, yeah. He, he is fine with lying and lying and lying, but he knows that in his back pocket, he's got the truth and right. that, that's going to save him. But what I love about it is, it's like really, it won't, not when you're dealing with Klingons, no. because if you if they catch you that you lied, then you're still dishonoring the whole situation. So they're going to kill you anyway. Right. So you should have just told the truth in the first place, which is why you know, um, his solution to getting out no matter what is I'll just bribe them.
1: You know, that's a Ferengi yeah. solution, bro. <laughs>
0: right. I'll just offer him a bribe. Right. And he even says the same thing. And in like in, in sh- to show how consistent his mentality is, he says the same thing earlier in the episode when he's talking about the empty bar and he's like you know the dominion comes to you and they say they want a foothold in our territory right. that you know bring it to the negotiating table offer them a little something send them away with something for their troubles right because but well, no not cisco cisco had to give him the hard line he's that's just right. he's so upset you know he's like yeah frankie's we negotiate we that's yes. how we do everything that's so true so, yeah, he is very much uh he's all into the let's make a deal. If I can't get what I want directly, let me make several deals until I can indirectly get there and get my result. And
1: it's so great. I I think yeah, again, Cork is a great character for him to say all that because in an earlier episode during the Marquis episodes, he was talking to that one um Vulcan and he was telling her like you you got to do that. In order to be successful, yes. you got to be willing to negotiate. Like you can't just be, you know, you know, we're going to win or we're going to lose. Cause then you just, there's no, you win nothing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Quark is sometimes right. I would say against the Dominion, he's wrong. Cause we saw in those previous two episodes that no, they, the, the, the changelings who are the founders who control the Dominion, they don't take any prisoners cause they, they see themselves as a hunted, you know, race. And so to protect themselves, they have to be the aggressors. But um, I don't know we didn't try Quark's way, at least not, well, I guess we kind of did. Cork has gone into the Gamma Quadrant to try and negotiate, so he's not half wrong. Well, he, not- he didn't.
0: He didn't so much go into the Gamma Quadrant to negotiate with the Dominion. That's true. He went into the Gamma Quadrant to basically find out where the Dominion was, right. and then let Starfleet take over. And then he's you know, and if you think about it, we did not present it in terms that like Ferengi would understand. Like he said, we didn't offer them really anything other than hey. We want to have peace with you all. Stay on your side. We'll stay on our, or no, not even that. We Like our whole, the Federation, I keep saying we, like I'm in the Federation or whatever, <laughs> but the Federation was basically like, you know, we're, we're explorers. We don't mean any harm or whatever. We're just going to kind of go out here, just leave our ships alone. And the Dominion was like, no, you don't understand. Like you guys are a threat to everything that we are. Right. And instead of trying to understand them, the Federation's was like, okay, look, we tried. If you keep messing with us, we're going to, we're going to fight you. Right. Yeah. So the the Federation does a great job of leveling veiled threats. You know, it's uh we're we're peaceful to a point. Once right. you reach that point though, we're we can be just as violent right. as anyone else. Right. So um and maybe that's like not necessarily the lesson, but I think that's why quark always ends up being so appealing because he does present an alternative way of looking at whatever is going on and often i feel like his way of looking at it is more in line with how we think currently culturally right you know negotiate talk this out offer them something figure out what you can get in return that's the trade-off that's how you establish peace it's not highfalutin words and ideas it's they have something I want, I have something they want. Let's figure out a way to meet in the middle right. and exchange and then move on. Right. So Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's 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 so great. I like I just love the idea that I mean I, I guess you know, I, I used to I used to think, and this maybe still do a little bit, that if Frankie were kind of oversimplified as money grubbers and the Klingons were oversimplified as aggressive, you know, always fighting yeah. But again, that Star Trek is is being successful at actually digging into how that actually makes those cultures interesting and different from each other and how they clash against each other. And yeah,
0: yeah. So I'm going to say that that, that's true, but I think that's all through the benefit of time. Because when the Klingons first started, they were certainly one-dimensional. They were an aggressive species. They, you know, there was this, hatred of humans and, you know, Kirk inspired a lot of ire from, you know, Kang and Kor and and the old guys when they were all running around with each other back then. Um, And then the Ferengi, when they were first introduced on Next Generation, they were menacing troll-like creatures. You know, there was no real attempt to understand their motivations other than we know that they are all about material possessions, which this is something that we were told as enlightened humans of the future, we we would move well beyond. So that's why it was always the the Ferengi were us in the past, or basically us now. You right. know? Um and so now, but I mean like over the intervening decades, again, 56 years of, of Trek, I think that you see this a lot with a lot of other um other uh franchises. But I think Star Trek has been the most successful because it has so much time. Right. You find people who who Find one thing interesting or compelling about a character or a species or whatever, and they end up kind of doing this deep dive that ends up giving us more. Right. right? You know, that's how we get so many different tales and spin offs of all kinds of things. And the Ferengi and the Klingons, and, you know, to a certain extent, the Romulans and Vulcans, and all the rest of them, they are just benefactors of people being around long enough to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, I mean, I wonder what we'll see of, like, the Bajorans in the in another 20 years, you know, if they're still <laughs> talked about or not. Or right. any of the other races. Like, will there be a revisit of some of those other one-off aliens that we just never saw again until someone writes something else about them years from now? Right. You know? But now, of course, let's turn our attention to our – I guess this would be our B story, you know, which – I I really enjoyed a couple of great moments. In oh there too. yeah, the o, the O'Briens. Yeah, Keiko is struggling. Yeah, you know, she is a woman without a without a cause. You know, <laughs> without a job. Yeah, and she's struggling here on the station. Right. So, uh, what did you think of uh, Miles' his solution ultimately? The suggestion that she go to Bajor?
1: So I, I'm kind of torn on it on some level because I feel like oh my gosh, like six months of separation and. You know, you're gonna you take the daughter, and he he's gonna be up on the station, like at home, if you will. But then and he's like, oh, it's only three hours away. I'm like, okay, so it's not the worst. But then I was thinking, like, well, I mean, he's in a military organization. I know the Federation tries to you know try and talk about themselves as not being yeah. just military, muddy, but muddy
0: the waters a bit. Muddy right. the waters. But they're a
1: bit primarily yeah. a military organization. He's he's a he's a enlisted man who who is important to the station. I guess for me, I was surprised that um, I, I expected him to initially go to Cisco and say, "I think I might need to transfer away." Uh, so when they were doing the solution of, "Oh, we can have her do a you know botany here on the station," I was at first I thought that was a great solution. Like I, mean, I don't know how big this storage bay was going to be, but like okay, let's go for it. Like that would be her job now. Like do what kind of was originally thought of during I think during the first ep- season, like the even the first episode of like you know, her at least I think it was maybe my suggestion, but like her let her be like the botanist for the gamma quadrant here on the station. Yeah. But then of course the problem is the Dominion is a, is an issue, so she can't be that. Um
0: but well, if you uh, remember that was actually a suggestion for her early on in the show.
1: Okay, so was it, it was um, the show suggested? There was a the suggestion
0: Yeah, there was a suggestion for her. I I believe that was season one where they talked about, because at that point they had just discovered the wormhole and Miles said, ships are going to be going through the wormhole soon enough and bringing back samples. You know, you can be the point person here on this side. Right. Figuring the stuff out, but that wasn't good enough for her at the time. She she wanted to go. Oh, that's right. And do it, and then he was right. like, "I'll see to it that you get to go." And she's like, "No, I don't want a favor from you. I want to have earned a spot right. on my own, on my own merit. Right. I want to be doing this because I have the skills, I have the knowledge, right? That kind of thing, right? So yeah.
1: Um. So I I really I, I thought O'Brien himself, Miles was was fantastic. Like he noticed that she was depressed. You know, she wasn't being mopey about it right whenever she noticed that he was noticing she was like don't worry about me and even later uh when he tells her about his plan she's like look i agreed to this marriage and i agreed that i would you know um be with you and i would be here on the station like i agreed to this and he's like i know but i i forget what he says but he's basically like look i'm not gonna like hold you here Uh, you know i'm not he is they are giving to each other they are Yes. an example of a good marriage, a relationship that has give and take, and when one of them is hurting, I mean his his little romantic dinner was hilarious. The whole bit about yeah, the, the this greatest holiday greatest in the
0: world, yeah, greatest wife in the world day, yeah,
1: and it comes up yeah. at random days like you don't know when it's coming. It might even be twice a day or twice a day, yeah, yeah or
0: twice a day, yeah, and, yeah,
1: and it was just a cute moment. Like O'Brien was knocking it out of the park. You could tell Keiko loved it, but. It, it wasn't the solution, and I I loved that it. it was Bashir of all people, Bashir <laughs> that came up with the actual you know point about actually, buddy, you can't patch this up. You got two months of her being like, "This is my hobby," and then her being depressed again. Um, well, I don't know if he's one hundred percent right, but yeah. Go ahead. Well, no,
0: I think he makes an excellent point. He says um, you're trying to basically, he says you're trying to turn her profession her career her chosen professional life path right into a hobby right you're trying to make you're trying to make this scientist a gardener right and that's not the same at all and uh, I think that's what kind of helps uh, O'Brien to kind of open his eyes a bit to realize that he had been looking at his wife through a very narrow lens and he wasn't really seeing all of what she was i mean she was yes she's his wife mother of his child but i don't think he ever really thought of her in that kind of professional setting at least on the same par as some of the other scientists that he already works with like that's the thing about him you know o'brien works with a lot of very capable scientists soldiers officers every single day right and it just never i don't think it ever really dawned on him to see his wife that way because her job is so separate from his right so I think it was easy for him to have that disconnect and then to think that when she he was when he started to notice her issues, I think it was easy for him to think of those issues as being personal, not professional. Right. And so he needed an outside person like Bashir to be like, no, this is this is her problem. Right. Not what not what you're thinking. Right. You know. I would be really
1: um, curious, uh sorry to interrupt you just for a second, but I'd be no. really curious to have I mean, it's just you and me right now, but to hear from like a a woman on this issue like you know this is a career woman she was on enterprise when she met o'brien they were both career people and she as most women do gave up her career to uh you know have molly have their child and then part of that you know she did do the, the school teacher thing for a bit but that's not working out but she originally was a career woman that was originally her life plan i assume and so for her to then uh kind of have other avenues of life that she had you know been willing to compromise to have and then uh you know o'brien being like okay you 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 had a career and i want you to still have your career i mean that's gonna put a stress on their marriage in the sense that they're not gonna be with each other as much these for six months Mm -hmm. what kind of stress would that put on a kid uh who you know not gonna see her daddy as much um
0: very young kid at that too it's not like she's you know a preteen or teenager right molly is still very young right and you know that that age and being separated from either of your parents right um can have a profound um effect exactly you know exactly and and even as he said you know bejor is only three hours away but let's be honest you know that's three hours there three hours back back, and then of course you you know Scheduling and all that stuff, and who's to say that they're going to be truly available? And a lot of logistical nightmares and, right. and stuff like that. I mean, we experienced that now with with the way that we do things. So right. just imagine. Yeah. But um, I did want to say this episode is one that also uh, generates a lot of flack for Keiko. You know, uh, she is one of the more underappreciated characters in the Star Trek panel, and a lot of that comes from. Uh, the episodes where she's featured on uh, Deep Space Nine, they feel like she doesn't give Miles a l- enough like latitude and understanding. But I, once again, I feel like this is like her character development makes more sense as you get older, right? Because when you're younger and you're watching this show, you just want your heroes to like go out there and do hero things, right? You don't want to hear about the wife nagging them at home and you know she's unhappy, and it's like who cares? Go fix something. Go. Just get your head blown up and turn different colors in the <laughs> in the turbo lift or whatever. That's what you want to see, right. not hear about how she's unhappy because she can't grow some flowers. Right? You know, like that's kind of how they you you simplify it. Then, but then as you get older and you have more experiences and your own relationships and like that, I think that's you know when you go back and watch it. Like I know for me, watching this one again, I was just like, yeah, Keiko makes a lot of sense. Like she wants to. Be useful. She wants to have a job like we all do, and it doesn't make sense that um, there's so little for her to do, really. Right. You know, on the on the station, and you know, she just became relegated down to being a teacher, and that's not <laughs> enough. That's not enough. I mean, that's like again, you you went to school for this, you trained for this all your life, you got the certifications, you got the accolades, you did all the hard work to be called Doctor This, right? And then someone's like, okay. Great, Doctor, former cardiologist. Uh, why don't you go teach some kids a few things? Yeah, go 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 teach kids intro to anatomy. <laughs> like, how insulted would you be, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of what I, I I envisioned when I you know was thinking about this and watching this scene again. I was like, yeah, I mean, she just basically got told, yeah, go read a pamphlet. Yeah. Well, I think it was interesting for me about the whole situation, though, is we don't
1: see Molly in this episode. So part of me feels like if Molly was there, she might've been, uh, the the character as a mother might've been more brought to the forefront. The character as botanist was what the episode was emphasizing. And so it yeah. made sense that the solution was uh, to press into the botanist angle of the character. Um, but I did, I did feel the absence of Molly, I would say. And, I, and that's, again, I'm not saying that oh. the character made the wrong decision. I'm just saying um, I feel like because that aspect was not brought into the episode, the complexity of the situation was also a little de-emphasized. Because oh, we we're gonna go, you're gonna go do your thing, and Molly will join you. Um, I mean, Molly's too young to be asked what she wants, but um, let me put it well, this way: I'm curious to see how they were gonna they're gonna play out this storyline. Yeah over this next 6 months in in show history, you know, over the next, you know, a couple episodes whenever we see her again what 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 changes will be noticed. Yeah. And uh yeah. So.
0: And I'm going to disagree with you and just say that I feel like if they had brought Molly into it, I think that it would have been too easy for them to dismiss the um the concerns and the feelings that Keiko was expressing. Because it would have been like, you're a wife, you're a mom, you're just going to abandon your kid and run off to Bajor, or take your kid away from the parent that they obviously have a strong connection to and love. Like, it would have made her look even worse than she initially started out, you know? Right. And I think it would have left people, it would have made it harder for people to empathize with her, because especially back then in the 90s, there's this whole thing about... Families and that family dynamic and how it needs to be presented and so like that. And once a child is introduced in it, again, even in the '90s, it was a very traditional thing for the woman to stay home and be, you know, wife, mother, homemaker, right, so forth. Right. You know, um, she could have a career, but it was often looked at as more of a a side business, something not as strenuous or or as important, right. As what the man was doing. Right. And I think that what they were trying to do here, especially with this being a, a very future-focused show, was trying to show that these are two people who are equally, eminently qualified for their various uh, job paths. Right. But one of them has stopped, and there there needs to be some acknowledgement of that. Right. So, yeah, so I I, I liked it. I liked it. I liked liked the way that they did it. Um, but don't worry, I will give you this uh mild spoiler. This comes up again, yeah, and you you will get your interplay of not just Miles and Keiko, but Miles, Keiko, and Molly, and a special someone else who I can't wait to see. (laughs) Um, not gonna tell you who, you're just gonna have to wait. (laughs) Got it, you're just gonna have to wait. Um, gotcha. and I, before we do anything else, I did also want to say another scene that I loved that was a part of this story when when O'Brien goes to Cisco to ask him about turning one of the cargo bays into the arboretum. I I loved the lead up to it because he walks in and you know it's Cisco, Dax, and Kira, and they're in a meeting, and Dax immediately identifies why O'Brien wants to talk to uh, Cisco. Yeah, and then she tries to excuse her and Kira, and Kira's like. <laughs> That must be some kind of human thing. Right. And just like sits there and, and Cisco's like, yeah, get out. <laughs> um, I, I Once again, I love how they just little things like that can highlight cultural differences. Right. So, yeah, like Kira was like, nah, we don't do that. Right. And was just ready to sit there and continue to work.
1: In that moment, I thought of, you know, do Bajorans get married? Because I think I don't. I mean, I don't really remember ever seeing a Bajoran marriage, frankly. And with all the questions about her and um what's his face? Brian And uh again I Milk can't
0: toast Brian. Yeah,
1: exactly. I can't really think of seeing a Bajoran marriage, or at least not in the, you know, human context. So in that moment I was like, Is this an expression of you know, Bajorans don't have marriage like earthlings oh, no. do? And so that's her ignorance hanging out, or
0: they have marriage, okay. they yeah. they very much do have marriage. Um, if I remember correctly, the uh, the earrings that they wear do more than just make a fashion statement, they're um, also a uh, a sign of like the family,
1: right?
0: And like, also, like, they're there used to be an old caste system. In uh-huh. in the Bajoran society, so the the earring represented your family and your caste. Right. And then whenever you got married, you changed your earring out accordingly to affect to reflect your new bonding with whomever it is and family and and so forth. Right. Um, we they haven't really done much of that just yet. We're gonna get more into that in uh, some future episodes, but that doesn't really spoil anything for you. It's just yeah, they get married. So. Um, but I also loved how serious Cisco took, um, O'Brien's request and he's just like, yeah, anything that you need to, you know, keep your wife happy, just ask. Right. And I, I, I loved it. I was like, yeah, I understand, you know, they kind of, I feel like they do a lot to make you forget that he is a widow. And so it's nice when you have little moments that kind of remind you that this guy, even after all this time, he is still, you know, kind of grieving a bit for his wife. So I like those little touching moments like that.
1: Yeah. Um, Going back to Dax real quick, thinking of Dax and Bashir, in some ways I'm surprised it wasn't Dax who made the comment about what um, uh, Keiko needed, that Bashir was the one who did it, that Bashir was the one with the insight. Because Dax had just said, "I've been a, a wife and I've been a husband," so I know that look from both angles. Uh, in mm-hmm. Terms of O'Brien's, uh, you know, needing to talk to Cisco privately. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm surprised it wasn't her that come up with came up with the solution. I mean, I guess it was a reason to give you know Bashir a line, you know, in some part of the scene. But again, it feels like Dax could have had a moment; and it was well, taken from her. <laughs> sure,
0: but you also have to realize that. Bashir gets information that Dax doesn't. She knows that there's a problem with the O'Briens, but she doesn't know the extent of the problem. Whereas Bashir walks up and sees what O'Brien is working on. And then Miles kind of lays it out for him. You know, she's unhappy since the school closed. I'm trying to give her something to do. And that's when, so yeah, he gets a bit more to go off of before he gives his advice right. than she does. But she's still able to pinpoint that, yeah, he's clearly got a marital issue. Um, nice little way to drop in too that. She's been both a man and a woman multiple times. <laughs> you know, um, I feel like these are kind of those beginning inkling moments where we're going to start to see Dax kind of coming out of her shell a bit, you know, because man, it, here we are season three and still very little Dax. Right. And, um, I I know that it's coming, but for somebody like you who's never watched it, I'm I'm always worried. Cause like, I wonder if he's going to be like, man, Perry is BSing me hardcore <laughs> about how great this character is because right. so far she's just been dull. you know. I, again, but I don't I'm feel like you, she's it's, dull. It's I just feel it.
1: like this 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 showrunner's like created this character and they were like, we don't know what to do with it. <laughs> we don't know what to do with this character, so she's just going to say a line here or there. And then I, it sounds like they figure her character out and suddenly she blossoms. So
0: I just wonder, I've always wondered if there was just like somebody who was like kind of keeping their hand on her character and pressing her down. And then they just, for whatever reason, either they got fired or they retired or whatever, but they disappeared. And now all of a sudden we got Dax, you know? So um, that's how I always take that. But yeah. Um, it's coming. That's what I'm going to say. It's coming. Gotcha. Okay. Well, it seems like we are right about at the end of our time here. Is there anything else that you would like to say? Oh, I just. About this episode? There was one
1: other thing, and it's about Quark. We yeah. him
0: Real quick. Um,
1: I liked the little interplay he he had with the whole idea that it's not about money; it's about respect. When he was wanting to insist on his false version of events. And then um, by the end of the episode, he's back to his frenky ways. You know, it's not about respect; it's about he he, he would give up the respect he wants. You know, um, the money he wants money. He wants some platinum. Pro- he wants platinum. Um, you know, all of the people in the bar that had come in to hear his stories had left again, and now it's he, he wants good old hard, good old uh, Latinum. And uh, yeah. when when um, Grocka was mad at Cork, she said you know, I thought you were honorable and you were everything, but it turns out all you have for your heart is a little a piece of platinum and it's a small piece of that or something that line yeah. Like that. Yeah. And so it was just funny. It's like she's trying to insult him, but like that is not an insult to him, you know, but he. Well, it was,
0: it only, it only turned into an insult when she said it was a small piece. Yeah, exactly. Then, then he was like, oh, them fighting work. Exactly. He was, he was ready to let everything go. Right. It was, that she said before that. Yeah. He's like, wait, no, yeah. no. Yeah.
1: And so I, I, I have to, up. everything up until the moment where Cork appeared in the, uh, the you know, to, went to the the duel at the end of the episode. I thought it was great. So when it turns out he showed up for the duel, like we didn't see him have his change of heart. Off he was off screen. Like he left with Rom, yeah. and then the next scene is her standing there pretending that she's waiting for Cork, even though she just you know watched him leave and you know kind of cursed him out for it. And then there he is. He's coming back. So I was sad that we didn't get to see him have his change of heart. You know, why would he have a change of heart? It was a fun moment to see him, you know, win the moment, you know, with the, the whole, oh, like, you, you're going to execute me, and that's not going to be honorable. So you, I, I put you at an impasse is what he does. Um, yeah. And uh, so it was, it was a great moment, but I was like, ah, I'm sad that we don't get to see his change of heart. But I did like at the very end when uh, Rom, his brother Rom, says – tell the story again. And he's, and he was mm. like, well, there's no one here to tell it. He's like, but I want to hear it again. And he was there and Quark then goes into the, the story. And he's, when I first walked into the room, I realized that Dagar was at least three meters taller than I remembered him.
0: <laughs> oh man. Such, such embellishment. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of that scene, when he walked back in uh, to actually stand with Grokka, I love that. He was just like, I'm Quark, son of Keldar, here to fight Tagore, son of whomever. whatever." <laughs> he, no, whatever. he doesn't even say right. whomever. He's like, <laughs> whatever. whatever.
1: Yeah,
0: that's right. It was and a just great shock, It was a
1: great insult. Right. <laughs> I
0: was like, <laughs> man. <laughs> I loved it. I was like, I don't know, I don't know who, like, a serious stroke of genius with that one. And then, of course, Armin Shimmerman's delivery yeah, is spot on. Yeah. Because um, even I, even watching it, like, it's been a while since I've seen this episode, so I, I watched it again, and when it got to that part, I did the same thing to Gordon. I was like, uh, <laughs> whoa. It's like, I forgot that was in there. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, so, okay. I've said it before, I'll just say it again, but Quark is the best realized character so far on the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so.
0: He started out strong, and he's maintained it, but yeah. he he definitely makes everybody else up their game. Yeah. Um, He's except for Odo. Odo was another one who came on real strong. I'm gonna stand by Odo <laughs> on that too. He came on real strong and hasn't diminished yet in yeah. my eyes. We're getting so.
1: we're getting more from him too, yeah. It was, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well So I think that will be about it for us um, for this episode. I do want to remind everyone that you should go to at least star trek.com and watch all of the trailers for all the new shows. They're all there. Um, There's some great stuff. I know I didn't talk about discovery or strange new Worlds, but there's some great stuff from those as well. Um, I actually am really excited about the direction that all of, Trek is taking right now, and I have to admit, if they do a Janeway show, kind of like they did the, you know, the Picard show, I'd be excited. I would love to watch that. I would love to see how they kind of explain certain things because, you know, even in Picard, you know, uh, Seven of Nine is on Picard, but there's no explanation for how she got from end of Voyager to there, to, to where she is there. Mm-hmm. So I would love a show that kind of gives us, kind of fills in that gap a bit. What's Seven been up to for the past twenty five years, you right. know um so yeah i would love to see some of that stuff but again go check all that out and as always you can listen and catch up with us and everything that we were doing in the last three weeks before today um at the fire caves you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts as the fire caves of course i do it on spotify and as always check us out on twitter facebook all those social media things as well um and join in conversation. But until next week, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.